On, uh, on this episode of The Conversation, uh, I interview Grant Wallace. He is the director of basketball there for Basketball Victoria in, uh, there in Australia. Uh, they are actually the single largest uh, governing body outside of the national body there uh, in Australia. They have a massive population, massive popularity with basketball. Uh, but what I think you're actually going to get out of this episode uh, is some really cool insight into um, you know, a, a, a regular guy growing up uh, in the middle of Australia uh, with a great family and, and great support system, how that influenced him into, into being successful in what he does today, um, and also the importance of family. So I hope you enjoy. I hope you're enjoying uh, the podcast here uh, with the conversation, and uh, we, we look to continue bringing you guys even more amazing guests. All right, so we are here uh, on the conversation. Uh, I have a really, really, really good friend of mine uh, by the name of Grant Wallace. Uh, now, Grant, uh, for the people around the world that are maybe outside the basketball world there in Australia who don't know uh, who you are, um, you know, please introduce yourself. Tell us, tell us where you're from and uh, tell us a little bit about you. Thank you, uh, Grant Wallace. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, I'm the manager of operations for um, Basketball Victoria. Uh, in Australia, we have a um, our sporting structure is a little different to the states in that we're not scholastic as such. Our setup is club based. So um, I uh, work for a, a state body, uh, and we oversee around about 217,000 basketball participants in our state um, who play the game of basketball. It's the largest uh, organization in uh, Australia. Um, I'm an ex-player, uh, ex-coach, and uh, obviously an administrator in this great game of basketball. Fantastic. So um, basketball obviously is, uh, you know, is your theme. Um, you know, everybody that I've, that I've come in contact with across, you know, across the country, uh, you know, speaks highly of you. Um, they've got a few nicknames for you, I think, back uh, in your playing days, but we'll... Uh, We'll leave, we'll leave those off. Um, but, uh, you know, I, w- I would love to know, I think the people would love to know, clearly, you know, basketball is, is, surrounds your job, uh, but I have a feeling that your actual passion and, and what you actually get out of the job is actually something different. So, 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 so how, did, how did your passion and what is that get you started in, in, in the basketball world? I was a tall boy. And um, I was about five years of age, and a good friend of mine was playing basketball at a local association and suggested that I start to play basketball because with my height, I would be good at Back then, I was, um, well, I'm only 6'3 now, so not a monster. Um, so I was going down to, uh, to play, um, and I have recollections of crying. No way was I going to leave my mum and dad and run onto the basketball court and play um, so it took a couple of weeks, but I eventually got into it. And uh, and towards the end of the, my career, uh, I was crying if I came off the court. Uh, my passion was so big. Um, so basketball became a big part of my life. I love the game uh, and everything it brings, you know, friendships and um, and the experiences that I've had, which we'll sh- surely talk about later. But I was uh, I have a sister, younger sister, and, and um, she was playing uh, under. Well, basketball, domestic here, and they needed a coach. So I was only 13 at the time, and uh, I coached her that 
year. Um, that was my first experience of coaching. Uh, after that year, I said I would never, ever coach women's basketball again. <laughs> and uh, I didn't until last year, so some 40 years later. Um, and uh, But I've coached every year since. You're telling and, your uh, age a little bit there, Grant. Yeah, big 50 next year. <laughs> um, so I, uh, the, the love of the game just consume me. Um, it is a huge sport down here. We have kids that would be playing. It's an 11-month-of-the-year sport. Um, and that one month we have off over Christmas when everything shuts down, um, people enjoy the respite for a couple of days and then they want to get back into the sport uh, and uh, everything about the sport consumes me. So it's a passion. been very fortunate for the last number of years, um, you know, 25 plus years, to be able to work in the sport uh, and try and give back to the game and develop it and grow the sport in, uh, in Victoria here. So, so one of the things, Grant, that um, really stood out uh, to me, you know, when you and I met, obviously, um, you know, that for, for those of those that are listening that, that don't know or aren't super familiar here with CCR and, and the company that I own, um, you know, we're, we're a college recruiting service. We work with athletes all around the world. And, you know, we, we were already working with some folks and, and helping athletes and families there in Victoria. And, you know, we got, we got introduced to each other. And, um, you know, I, I recall that that first meeting quite well uh, for a couple of reasons. One, that's actually when we saw our first kangaroo after multiple trips um, to Australia. Um, but one of the things that stood out to me and, and, you know, how we, how we do things throughout the world. Um, we're, um, we're very, very particular uh, about the people we align ourselves with. And it's important that I keep people in my life, whether it's business or personal or, um, you know, what have you that, you know, embody the same passion, embody um, the same morals and values. And, and, and the one thing that you really hit on a lot in our very, very first meeting was was how much, you know, it, everything revolved around helping, you know, helping the kids and, and, and helping those people. Um, where, where, where did that come from? Is that are your are, were your parents involved with with helping youth as you grew up? Yeah, very much so. Mum and Dad were involved in everything that um, my sister and I did. Um, we're always there. Dad was always the president of the club, and Mum was always in charge of the kiosk or the canteen or a team manager. Um, we had um, I went to a, a Church of England grammar school, so ethics and caring for people was always a priority from there. My my grandparents were the same. Um, so my upbringing was all about caring for people. I remember even as a five-year-old being taller and bigger than everybody else and you know, through to about 13 when everybody else caught up with me. But those years, mum would always preach to me when I was on the basketball court, don't hurt people. <laughs> don't <laughs> look after them. Um, don't be aggressive out there on the floor. So I guess it was always in my DNA to, um, to care for people and look after people. And you know, in my capacity now, I've got some responsibility um, to look after the game and look after the people that are involved. And uh, again, I'm sure we'll get onto it, but there are a number of people involved in our sport who um, are not involved for what I consider the right reasons. And um, they're looking to take out of it whatever they can. And uh, that annoys me. And I try and protect those that uh, they don't know better. And uh, we want to help and grow the sport that way. So yeah, yeah, and, and and to kind of put it into context um, for the listeners that that maybe don't know the structure in Australia, um, outside of the actual national governing body, um, you know, 
Grant, you know, and his team there in Basketball Victoria, they, they really look over really the largest body, single body, um, uh, there in the state. So, um, you know, if you can, uh, if you can compare it to the United States, um, there is a, uh, massive, uh, influx of athletes, of younger athletes playing. Um, so as you can imagine, it's, uh, I, I, I sometimes Grant and I have some, some confidential conversations from time to time. And, and I sometimes refer to things as the wild, wild West. Sometimes, you know, um, you have people who, again, as he said, you know, kind of do those things and not really to put a negative connotation on things, but, um, you know, that's, you know, Grant's kind of a firefighter in some ways. And, you know, if there's a lot of battles, I would say, even many that I don't know that, that Grant has fought, uh, for the game there in Victoria, for the game in Australia, some that I am aware of, um, that most, the, the things that go unnoticed and, um, you know, that's, uh, that's why I say, um, you know, Grant, you know, definitely I, I wanted Grant to be one of our first um, because I'm big on emotional intelligence. And for me, uh, life is all about uh, how you've dealt. As you become an adult, I feel that you deal with things through your past, either good or bad. And, and some people become great, great adults and, and, and great servants, um, you know, to the world because they had, you know, great families and, and great environments. I didn't have that. I, I you know, I come from um, a very broken home. I moved 17 times the first 18 years of my life. So it's kind of funny how the two polar opposites, um, you know, still kind of draw into the same place. And, and, and it's, and it's it, you know, Grant, you are uh, no doubt uh, one of those people that I think Australia should be very, very proud of. I don't say that because you're my friend. Um, I say that because it's the truth, because I do know for the last four years, um, some of the things and a lot of the things that you've had to deal with and, you know, how you've, how you've handled them and, and, and still to this day, you know, those things still happen. So, um, so your passion, uh, absolutely helping people, serving people, uh, really, really cool. I didn't know that about your, uh, didn't know that about your parents, but it sounds like you just kind of took, uh, took the model that your parents did of helping, helping run the club and, you know, you've, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you attribute everything that you've learned to them. And, uh, you know, they, you know, you always listened to them and, uh, never disagreed with them. And, uh, you know, you took that into, uh, uh, to what you're doing now. Yeah. Respect is a huge thing. And, um, I, you know, family values for me are important. I've got four boys now and, um, it's amazing, uh, going through bringing those four boys up and, um, trying to give them the same education or guidance that my dad gave me or my mum. And uh, uh, you, know, you want to make sure you're doing the right thing by them to give them the right platform for their lives. And um, that's been something that uh, I guess as you get older and wiser, you start to realise that um, even now, uh, you know, we had an experience this week where a, um, number three son, Tyler, had a, uh, he was working over the holidays and uh, effectively cut his middle finger off. Oh my goodness! And um, so we got a whole lot of therapy and things going on there. But it was amazing just going back over some of the things that I experienced when I was growing up. Some things and with and guidance that Dad would have. And I often think about that's exactly what my dad would do in handling the situation. <laughs> or that's exactly what my dad would say in that same environment. So, um, which is a positive. Sure. Um, but the, the 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 upbringing that I had 
um, has allowed me to, um, I guess, be the person I am today. And, and I guess in some ways as successful as I am as a basketball coach or as a, a basketball administrator because the uh, the values and the, the guidance that Dad provided me. And even now, you know, Dad's 80 now and um, not of great health, but um, you'll ring up and uh, have a chat about just a work-related incident. He has no idea about it, but he's able to give you some guidance and direction and you think, that's actually what I want to do or that's the way I should handle this scenario. So um, I think that's progressed for me with my love of the game um, and the respect that you know, I have for other people. And um, one of the other little things that I have, a little passion for mine down here is as a sport, we've done a very horrible job of uh, capturing and celebrating our history. We've got a rich history of, uh, here in Victorian basketball so I've established a history committee and um, you know, we're trying to capture video footage, um, memorabilia and trying to put that onto a, a platform where people can actually realise how well and uh, entrenched our sport is. We've got uh, local sports, cricket and football down here who are very resource rich and uh, they do a great job of that and I get really jealous of uh, those sports being able to celebrate our history. So respect becomes a really big thing for me as part of that as well. Awesome. So, uh, so would you say, um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously a business owner. I have a team that I manage. Uh, there likely will be, you know, some business folks that listen in uh, on, on this episode, on this podcast. Um, would you say that even some of those values that you learned and, and you use as a father, um, you know, you apply those things, you know, as, as, cause, cause I know you've, you've even mentioned like, you don't, you don't ever talk about, um, you know, they, these people work for you. It's always, they work with you and those kind of things. And, and, I've, and I've, that's always stood out to me. Um, you know, what, what, what about, what about being, having a, having a, a great role model as a father and as parents being a, you know, being a rock solid dad yourself, what, what about that have you learned that, that also works in the business world? It's a great question. Um, when I was younger, basketball consumed me, so I didn't actually go ahead and do any study. And um, I only a couple of years ago went and did my um, master's in business administration. And part of that course was uh, a leadership component uh, subject in there. Um, and throughout that, it really brought home to me some of the things that I do naturally uh, in my work environment. And one of the, the big things for me with my team, I've got 10 people that work under me at uh, the state body right now. Um, and the, the ethic of, um, you know, as good managers, make sure you surround yourself with good people um, and then almost better qualified or better experienced than you so that they can then take on the responsibilities under your area, your portfolio, uh, and take your business on. Um, and that's been a really big thing for me. And then from that, people have a, a sense of ownership about what they're doing, uh, great pride and you know, we don't manage our staff like uh, it's a school where they clock in and clock out. Yep. Um, we get them to, you know, that's responsibility, that's what needs to be done. It might be developing a camp or it might be developing a coaching course or it might be developing um, a, a new program in the schools, whatever it is. Um, and you find that the uh, the ownership that the staff have on that, that project or that responsibility it's astonishing to watch. Um, you know, they'll be in there early to get job done, or you know, they'll take the afternoon off because they're going to do something else. But, but at the end of it, we have a really successful business and um, a great environment 
Um, the other thing that I really feel is important in our workplace is, um, and it's always difficult in the uh, the world of political correctness, but to have a sense of humour and to have a bit of a, a nice environment where sure. you can have a laugh and um, uh, it's an enjoyable workplace um, where people can uh, can share their ideas, have a laugh, and get the job done because um, uh, you don't want it to be you know the old cold mine where you go in there and you work from whatever hour to whatever hour on your work and you leave and um, you know people have been becoming really passionate about what they do because of the, the environment that we've set up in the in the workplace yeah I mean it's it, it, it I mean again to try and put it into context uh, I mean you guys essentially um, a 10 member team um, that oversees how, how many participants there in Victoria yeah we have 217 participants in Victoria um, our Basel Victoria has a staff of about 50. Um, so we've got a whole lot of inclusion programs and competition sure. staff. And and, and, and and they don't work conventional hours. Uh, no, no, it's, it's after hours. I mean, down here uh, in Australia, uh, all the sport primarily is after school or after work hours. So you know, our staff will be working on most Saturdays, most Sundays, after hours. Um, uh, but they love it. It's working in a sport environment. Sure. Sure. So, so kind of, kind of circling back, you, you know, you started playing basketball at a young age. Um, let's kind of, let's kind of pick up. Um, you know, how did, did you play club ball? Did you play professionally? You know, where, where kind of high school years are kind of done? Um, again, you, you've already told your age, so I guess I can, I can, I can reference back to that. But uh, back when you graduated high school. Um, I'll, I'll let you tell the year if you want to, but when you graduated high school, um, there wasn't a lot of options. The internet wasn't around. Um, and now keep in mind, the internet wasn't around very much when I graduated high school either. So, so, you know, you're not ancient. Um, but you know, there, there wasn't a lot of pathways. Um, how, how did, I, I am curious about this because I know you've got some friends that, that ended up coming over here and playing and some people you ended up playing with. Um, a little bit of tell me a little bit about your journey and what you did, and then I've got a I've got kind of a follow up question. Sure. Um, so I finished uh, secondary school here in 1985. Um, I was heavily involved in um, in basketball. I had to make a decision when I was 16. Um, much to my um, uh, dad, never was really happy about it. I, I probably could have had a really good um, career in Australian rules football. Um, which would have kept me locally here, and I've got a great passion for, for football down here. I uh, love my football club. Um, but about 16, I just couldn't balance my football and my basketball, and uh, I was playing state basketball, playing at a, a decent level, and knocking on the door of the um, league, which is the highest level of competition professionally down here. Back then, it wasn't as big as it is today. But I had to make a choice, and I chose basketball. Um, Dad always wanted me to go football, um, but understood and respected what I did um, uh, and was supportive. So at uh, 16, followed the basketball pathway. So I finished year 12 and was enrolled to become a, um, uh, in teacher's college. I wanted to be a, uh, a primary school teacher. Um, but then I had an opportunity back then um, in November of every year, our seasons, uh, the NBL was over our winter, which was sort of April through to August. Uh, so November was always end of season, um, mm -hmm. prepare for the, the new season. And U.S. colleges, Division One schools, 
would pay international clubs to come out and, and participate in their pre-season uh, before their NCAA season would commence. So uh, they would pay a retainer. Uh, back then it was legal. So we would have trips to the States for a month at a time and we'd be playing schools like Kansas and Duke and um, Utah, um, all the high-profile Division One schools in uh, fully timed practice games in November and the whole trip was paid for. So um, that opportunity became available to me to go on a, a tour with the Coburg Giants or the North Melbourne Giants as they became known uh, and they participated in the NBL and that was a great opportunity for me and I deferred Teachers College um, <laughs> to, to go to um, on these trips, basketball being the passion and, uh, and going around the world and had a ball, was, I don't have any regrets but um, it was an opportunity for me and when I came back from those tours, um, I needed to do something. Well, back then, the workforce in basketball was still a very voluntary base. Um, yeah, there weren't a whole lot of professionals. Right now, in basketball, we may have about 400 people working full-time in Victoria um, at various levels in, in basketball. But back then, you didn't. Uh, and a job became available at the stadium or the club that I was involved in at Coburg. And um, so I took on that job and never went back to teachers' college. And then once I started to earn money, there was no way I could go back to university. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, I followed that path. And I, I played... Uh, MBL for probably four years. When I say played, I was uh, training bait and I sat on the end of the bench, <laughs> never had a whole the time, but I was involved in the process. Sure, and, sure. Uh, and then I realized pretty much that I couldn't jump. I wasn't all that quick. I wasn't all that tall, um, but I thought I had a good understanding of the game and coaching was probably my passion. So um, I got involved in junior state teams and, and went on and coached and uh, I've been pretty much coaching every year since uh, sort of... Uh, at a high level since I was about uh, 21, 22. Um, so that was my journey and, and a lot of lessons throughout that about the game and the like. And um, when I was about 21, I was I was actually became manager of the stadium. It was a three-court facility. And um, we were in a, uh, you know, a low-income area, high crime and um, we did a whole lot of work with uh, with the youth of that area to try and give them some sense of responsibility and ownership of the stadium. But I remember throwing a kid out uh, this one time who was kicking a Australian rules football inside the stadium, you know, not showing respect for the stadium and hitting the lights and that sort of stuff. Um, that kid took objection to it and that decided to uh, to burn down the stadium. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> so we had... Um, um, at that stage, we had like 500 teams that had nowhere to play. So we, I was managing that throughout and a rebuild. And um, you know, we were all about trying to make sure players could actually keep playing this great game. So um, from those lessons learnt, you know, I got onto the management in a big way. So I was able to balance coaching and, uh, and administration. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a, a basketball life uh, on and off the floor for me. So, so, so you came here. You played. Uh, you played in the states. That's uh, kind of kind of a continuing uh, theme, I think, for a lot of Australians. I think it's kind of the popular thing to do to, you know, take a take a school holiday, come over here with the team, uh, hit a couple, uh, hit a hit a couple amusement parks, um, you know, do that fun stuff. What was? Um, t tell me, tell me about your first time coming to the states. You know, were, were you overwhelmed? Was it what you thought it was? 
I remember um, my actually first time to the States, I was 12, 13, and um, mum and dad decided to take my sister and I across to Disneyland, and uh, we did just did the West Coast. And um, at that stage, as a young boy, the only Americans that I'd seen were American basketballers, so I had this image of um, all Americans being fit and athletic. Um, <laughs> and I'll never forget arriving in uh, Los Angeles, and uh, and it wasn't the case with all the uh, fast food outlets and you know all these um, overweight. Sure, sure, sure. And that was a big thing for me. Yeah, well, and, and, and I, w- I would say probably because uh, I think that's for most people. Um, not not that not that Australians are, are all fit either. Um, but but I think it's it was probably was it maybe a shock to you that hey these people look just like me. You know these people are yeah they're yeah. they're they're normal. Yeah, exactly right. And I mean that was a for me that was a big thing. Um, and the passion, the similarities between Americans and Australians with our passion for sport, um, you know, was, was amazing. I remember actually on that trip, um, we were in San Francisco at Hotel California, and it was the same time when uh, the AFL grand final was on. So, I don't know, this would have been 1977 or something like that, uh, 79 maybe. And uh, in the hotel lobby, because, as you said, there was no internet or sure. uh, phones. Uh, there was a blackboard in the foyer, and it had the results of the uh, the grand final games in Australia, in rugby and in Australian rules football, because they were on the same weekend. Yeah. And uh, um, the passion for sport was just quite amazing. and um, So the similarities for me was, was great. Um, and then growing up through that, um, I, so the next time I went to the States was uh, on a tour with the Giants, so it would have been 19 and you've got a different perspective, obviously, as a teenager. Some of the things you see and the friendships that you make. Um, and we played some big times universities on those tours. Um, a lot of time we toured down around Texas and Louisiana, uh, LSU and those sort of schools we play. Um, so we got into the, the realm of something that we're dealing with here as a country as well as the racism side of things and, yep. and with all of that. So... Um, that was a bit of an eye-opener for me too. Uh, unfortunately, about 1992 or 93, the NCAA stopped uh, schools being able to play um, international games and yep. pay retainers, um, wanting to sort of develop their own. Um, so those international tours finished. So the tours that we go on now are all self-funded and um, a lot of it is uh, you know, high school kids going across and playing high school games rather than the universities. Um and to, in order to get some international experience and exposure and, and the pathway across to the college, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, in a short time. Sure. So, so would you say in the, uh, in the 70s, 80s, early 90s, that's, that's typically how, uh, you know, if an Australian ended up playing uh, college basketball in the States, uh, it was because maybe they played on one of those teams that came over and played and, and got picked up? Or, or, or if not, how, how did that process occur uh, back in those days, yeah, it was definitely that way. Um, uh, there was a very a handful of Australians would go across and play in the um, in the um, the eighties, uh, even in the early nineties, uh, to to go to college. Um, the pathway wasn't seen there, and I guess uh, Australians weren't embraced either. It was more about the success of our national team, our Boomers men. Um, 
you know, as a country, even now today, it's quite amazing. Australia has a population of about 26 million people. Uh, and yet internationally, we're ranked four or five in the world sure. uh, when, you, when you combine junior boys, junior girls, men and women. Um, we really do punch above our weight. So, you know, in those early 90s, um, our boomers teams did really well at Olympic Games and World Championships. Um, and I think college coaches recognized this and thought, well, there's an opportunity here, a bit of a recruiting ground uh, in Australia. Um, and so in my vintage, I played locally against guys that you may have heard of, a guy called Luke Longley, same age as me, um, played juniors against him and he just destroyed um, the local competitions down here and ended up going to what we have an institute of sport down here for our elite kids. Uh, he attended there and then was obviously recruited to New Mexico. Um, Andrew Vlahoff I played against here, another superstar, and he went to Stanford. Um, so that sort of started the, the ball rolling on Australians and becoming a bit of a theme. Um, and then uh, obviously the St. Mary's of the world and sure. uh, a few other schools started and um, and now today we have around about 250 Australians in various levels, maybe even more, uh, in the college system in the states, be it D1, D2, you know, junior college, or even some are now going to high school. Absolutely. So, uh, so, so, kind of a side note because I'm, I'm a Michael Jordan fan. Uh, so, by, as a byproduct, I was a big Bulls fan. We, we've actually got some of those. I don't know if you guys have heard them there in Australia. They're called fatheads, and they're like these giant. Like nylon cut, your boys maybe even have some in the room there. Um, but I, I, I've got some. I found a deal online one night and, and just randomly bought some. So I've got Michael Jordan just flying across our wall. Um, yep. And you know what? What was it like? Uh, I mean, you guys obviously got the NBA games. Um, you know, at that point uh, when Luke was uh, when Luke was with the Bulls, uh, what what was it like watching him? Did you you know did he did he come home in the off season and share stories about? I mean. Geez, he's, he's playing with the greatest player in the world. Um, you know, how, how lucky. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, when I was growing up, uh, the sort of 80s was the start of getting, you know, the, the Magic Johnson era um, and Larry Bird that time, and, and Jordan hadn't even started playing then, I guess. Um, we would get a game here on a Friday night that was, who knows, flown down here and was a delayed game. So the only games of NBA that we would get uh, would be the uh, the finals. So um, it was either the Lakers versus the Celtics or Philadelphia versus the Celtics. Um, you get the odd Denver Nugget game. So there's probably four or five teams only that we were aware of down here that we'd get to see. We got no NCAA games shown down here. So um, I'm a massive Laker fan because of that, because uh, at that stage the Lakers were dominating the world. Showtime. Showtime. And uh, so for me... Um, uh, the Lakers became the ants' pants and what we wanted to follow. Um, and then as that progressed and we started to get Australians, even when Luke was playing, the amount of exposure that um, the game got down here was still fairly minimal by today's standards. Um, whereas now, you know, every game that Delavadova plays or Paddy Mills plays or Bogut plays or Dante Exum plays or Joey Ingles plays, any of the Australians, it's been live here with the wonders of technology. Um, so back then, um, whilst Jordan was a phenomenon uh, and obviously what the, the Bulls were doing, probably 
um, we didn't give enough as a country. We didn't give at that time. Um, basketball didn't get enough exposure for Luke Longley and all the things that he's done. It's only now we're starting to celebrate some of the things that Luke has done, uh, which is kind of sad um, as a sport. Um, and and that's for another reason. Just locally here, our local sport is like your NFL, uh, AFL. Um, have just crushed basketball in the exposure stakes, and um, we're slowly winning the war. Uh, even yesterday, one of the lead stories down here was Paddy Mills is uh, written a book and uh, promoting a book down here, a kids kids I book. I saw that. I saw that. Yes, and um, which is fantastic in his contract and uh, you know signing on for. 50 million US with the Spurs, and that's leading our our uh, our news now, which is uh, it's hurting football uh, because the basketball slowly you know getting traction in the in the local media. Well, I think, I I think wish- I, yeah, I think kind of on a side note, Grant. I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, I know the conversion, um, and I've got a general idea of what kind of money footy brings in. Footy being AFL, uh, Australian League football. That's uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of part Australian now, so I speak I speak their slang. Um, but w- w- would you? I mean, it's safe to say that 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 Bogut, that uh, I mean, even Delavadova, Patty Mills with his new contract. Um, you know, you know Dante Exum. Obviously, if he, um, you know, if 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 he has the breakout year that everybody's talking about, if if, if you know if Ben Simmons excels. You know, all, all of these athletes, these five or six guys. I mean, are are they going to be the highest paid athletes? Um, within Australia? Yes. Yeah. Um, a local football guy now, if he's playing at the highest level, um, could earn Australian, uh, US, I'll try and convert it to US, could probably earn on 150 US a year. Yeah. 200 maybe. Um, and that's playing local footy, not in, not traveling internationally, um, you know, but being, being seen as a, a big fish in a small pond here in Australia. Um, our NBL players are slowly creeping up to that, and um, but we've got a number of Australians, uh, men and women, who are playing in Europe at, yep. and earning great money. Um, got a number in the WNBA as well, so I think uh, players now uh, have got the luxury of making some choices about where what pathway they want to follow. Um, you know, we have um, many kids trying to do both sports, you know, they, they may graduate from college and come back and there's not an opportunity, so they can't make great money here in basketball locally, um, but they can make great money playing football. So great money is, you know, maybe $1,000 a week or something along those lines. Um, and we need to do a better job here as a sport in promoting the fact that, have a look at this opportunity. <laughs> you can make some unbelievable money if you're good enough. Um, a- absolutely, can- and I think, um, you know, I've, I've had some – I've had some experience, um, you know, being around uh, our first trip to Australia there. We, you know, we, you know, we were hearing about Ben Simmons really before anybody here in the States kind of had heard about him. Um, You know, obviously, I mean, you guys have some other players that have some ties like Kyrie Irving, you know, and different things. Um, One of the things that I was really, really impressed about is, um, you know, how well uh, the Australian basketball guys that are in the NBA seem to carry themselves in the public um, because, you know, it could be uh, it could be very, very easy to kind of, you know, lose sight of 
of where things are. You know, I always hear, and I know a lot of the things that happen, much like here in the States, charity and different things, they go, you know, kind of unpublished. Um, you guys are lucky enough where a majority of the NBA players are actually from your state, uh, you know, come come from your uh, your governing body. Uh, but it, it really seems like these guys are, you know, they give back, you know, some publicly, some privately, um, you know, but you don't, you don't hear about them. You know, you don't hear about them getting in trouble. You don't hear about them, um, you know, you don't hear about their life off the court, which, you know, in today's world is, a, is, is absolutely a good thing. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it, is, it is interesting to see that, uh, you know, for sure. Yeah, I think that, um, and that's part of our culture, I guess, um, mateship and looking after each other and sort of goes back over many, many years here as a country. Um, but we, um, I, I was actually reflecting on this a little bit this week with, um, you know, at the moment we've got Dante Exum and Joe Ingalls and Bogut all in town. Um, and Paddy Mills is obviously here as well in the, uh, the NBA offseason. And the great thing for me is that uh, you could be in a room uh, of hundreds of people and those guys will see you and they'll come over and talk to you. Um, because they respect and th- are thankful of the, um, you know, the coaching that you did with them early days, or they never forget their past. And I guess that's what we were talking about early days with myself is that, uh, you know, that respect. And I know that you know, many Australians go across to the states on tours or holidays, uh, and they'll touch base with these guys, and it's just like um, uh, mateship. Uh, they'll look after them and have them around for dinner or the like, no matter what their schedule is. Um, and that's one of the reasons I think why Australia has done so well internationally, our boomers and our opals, because of that mateship and uh, being grounded and keeping everybody level, no matter what opportunities they've got above and beyond. Um, and Dante Exum is doing a camp down here. Della Vadova is doing some stuff in his hometown of Maryborough. Um, and it's not that they've been asked to do it. They want to do it. They want to put back to the community and be, um, um, give others opportunities that they've had. And uh, I'm really proud of those guys when they do that. Well, I think uh, Adeli, as you guys call him, I think it's interesting. Most Americans probably have no idea of a of a company called Peak, um, yeah. but it, but it's been it's been really cool for me to see uh, how much he's you know he's tried to help and support you know uh, you know an Australian company and 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 you know try to you know support and you know add some brand identity to some of those things. I know he's got his own shoe. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's, from what I hear, um, we, we've obviously worked with some of the people back at his home club and, uh, from what we hear, uh, he's, he's exactly like on the court as he is off the court, you know, that, and that's, uh, you know, he's just a hard nosed, uh, hard nosed worker. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I mean, I want to give a little bit of context because there's probably been some people listening to this and they're thinking Australia and uh, there's, I would say, a large majority of the people who will listen to this have never been to Australia. So, you know, they still have some of the, the Crocodile Dundee thought process of the movie. And, uh, you know, you guys are, you know, kangaroos are hopping around on dirt roads in the middle of town and, uh, you know, you're fighting alligators and you're throwing boomerangs everywhere you go. And it's just not true. You know, it's it, it's it's very um, uh, you know, it, 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 I'll be honest with you. When we're in Australia now, with KFC on every corner and Pizza Hut and McDonald's or Maccas, as you guys call it, um, you know, it's it, you don't even know you're really in another country. And um, 
one thing I will absolutely, you know, and I, and I, and I preach it to the world and, and, and we travel all over the place. Australians, uh, even, even your, um, uh, your, uh, your mates over on the island over in New Zealand, in, in that part of the world, it is, it is really amazing when you, when you, when you do right by the people in Australia, um, they can sense that um, it, it, it is a massive country from sheer land size. But you know, as, as Grant mentioned, you know, there's the 26 million people. It's you know, there's there's 26 million people in the city of Shanghai. So um, you know, it's uh, it, it's a small world, and ironically, that's kind of how we got further ingrained with CCR. Uh, we met with Grant. Grant made a phone call to somebody else. We met with that person. Um, made a phone call to somebody else. We met with that person, um, and now um, you know we're uh, we're kind of the uh, we're kind of the 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 self-imposed pathway for you know I guess a very very large majority of the actual basketball population there with basketball Victoria, basketball Queensland, and, and just recently basketball New South Wales, and the hospitality. I mean, it never fails. I feel bad. Um, now when we come and we've been coming so often that I mean I have to turn people down for dinners and it's not because I don't want to it's so many and it's I I tell my wife my wife's not been to Australia uh, my daughter at six years old um, she's uh, she's blonde headed much like Grant's Grant's boys and um, you know she she knows more about Australia at six years old than most American adults know at forty. And I tell her, I said, you know, we could go over there. I try to put it into context for them. We could go over there on vacation and probably bounce around the entire country and never actually have to stay in a hotel. I mean, it would, you know, it would be, you know, that, that type of environment. And it, it is, it is an amazing place. You know, I, if, if you're listening to this and you've never been, I, I encourage you to go. Uh, I encourage you to go see it. So, um, you know, you know, kind of, kind of circling back, um, what, you know, you you obviously went through the ranks. You you had some. Uh, no doubt, it was not a smooth ride. Um, you know, no doubt you had uh, what I'll call uh, opposition or obstacles uh, through the journey. Um, because really, I mean, you're you're kind of at the you're kind of at the peak in your. I mean, the, the next level you could go obviously is uh, you know on the national level, um, but. I mean, even that, I don't know how much different that would be because of the, the level of participation you guys have in Victoria and, and the responsibility you have. You know, what were, what were some of the biggest obstacles, either personally or professionally, that, that you endured, and, and, and how did you overcome those? Yeah, it's funny. I, I've just returned, actually, from Guam. I was an assistant coach with the under-17 national men's team um, for the FIBA Oceana Championships. And it seems to be... Um, so we've qualified for the Asia Cup, for, and that's part of the process to qualify for the 2019 Under-19 World Championships. And even at that elite level, through to the grassroots level where we've got kids playing in our, our development programs at, at clubs, um, you know, some, the major obstacle is always, and we term it politics for the want of a better term, um, but... That's one of the obstacles of trying to navigate and deal with. And it's all basically it is just uh, dealing with people with uh, their own agendas and um, um, what they think is right um, or wrong. So 
that's been a major obstacle for me, particularly in this environment in my professional life now as a manager of operations with you know, overseeing effectively 217,000 participants, um, trying to make sure that we can navigate through that and make sure that everybody's on the right page as far as what's right for the sport. Um, so that's been one major obstacle. Um, the other one that I find more and more, be it at the, the international level with um, uh, you know, dealing with the under-17 national kids or through to the development, is uh, parents' expectations. Um, it's been a major obstacle because I think every parent thinks that their kid is going to be the next Michael Jordan or the next <laughs> uh, Larry Bird, the next... Um, Luke Longley. W Andrew Bowden, yeah. But, yeah, and the reality of uh, parents at times is something that... Um, continually astounds me when you've got a uh, a kid who is just you can see I mean, the kids know they're no good the kids water finds its own level the kids know what level they're at um your parents are pushy and um and, you know, really protective and feel that they're being uh victimized or or the like so uh that parent expectation for me has been a major obstacle about trying to educate um parents about the sport about the pathway educate them where their kid fits in. Um, we've often said down here the sport would be fantastic if uh, the, the mums and dads could drop their kids at the door and then stay in the car park and just <laughs> let the kids enjoy the, uh, the game. Um, and the kids know, what, you know they should be in the number one team or the number two team or um, you know, what level they should be playing at. But, um, but having to deal with parents' expectations is always a major obstacle. And, and I'm sure, and I'm, and I'm sure that's a that's a double-edged sword because you know you you definitely want parents that are that are passionate um, and yeah. supportive of their kids, uh, but at the same time, you know, um, you know, and, and and we deal that with that a lot, you know, here at CCR, and you know, I mean, I'm, I guess it's the American in me, and and as you know, I, I I'm I'm very very straightforward, I'm I'm very very upfront, um, you know, and and I I. I, I the unfortunate part about life is most of the time we don't want to hear what we actually need to hear, uh, you know, and, and I think a lot of it, and, I, and of course we work with, with athletes in 39, 40 different countries around the world, and, and it's the same everywhere. Parents, they hear about this, this thing called sport. They hear about this thing called basketball or soccer or baseball or whatever it is. And they also what also comes along with it as as these you know young adults become teenagers is I want to continue playing after high school whether it be professionally or um, you know going to a university here in the United States. Well, as parents, it's still brand new for most of the international community of people that are you know forty, fifty, sixty years old. They they know of it, but they don't know you know how to how to navigate that. And and I think parents are so. They're almost borderline desperate to try and, you know, help their child's dreams become a reality that, as you know, and, and as part of you and I working together to, uh, to police and clean up a lot of things kind of behind the scenes in, in our world, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are out there that just want to tell people what they want to hear. Um, you know, they, they know. And, and, I, and, and sometimes I think it's they don't know. They've heard that from someone else, so they hold that to be truth. And um, so I would I would say that is probably a um, you know you got two hundred seventeen thousand people I'm 
quite certain you've never went a week by uh, by making every single person you ever encounter uh, happy. So, um, you know, that's a challenge. Yeah, the, the vast majority of those people, and this is something I'm proud about, is that we're providing opportunities for 217,000 players to enjoy the game, health and well-being, and you know, mateship, um, having a, a social network through the, the conduit that's basketball. Um, the sexy end for us is the high-performance end, and that's the state teams or kids wanting to go the pathway of um, you know U.S. colleges or um, professional pathways. And that's really is a small minority of of the total participation here for the sport, but yet it creates the most headaches for us. Um, and you know, another dilemma that I have to deal with is um, you know exactly what you just said there about parents and um, um, always they always want to hear what they want to hear rather than what they should hear. And we have these groups down here or companies that you know I class as sharks that feed off that expectation and will will basically lie. Uh, to parents to say, your little Johnny or little Sarah is going to play NBA uh, and she's fantastic or he's fantastic and pay me some money and I'll get a pathway opportunity for you and I'll get you into a college and I'll do this sort of stuff. Um, and they wrought the system and um, that for me is one of the most annoying things in my job is trying to push these people away because um, they basically just feed these families with BS um, and, and make good money out of it um, that's not necessary um, or appropriate. Um, and the kids don't end up with the dreams anyway. <laughs> sure. So, um, so that's something that, you know, I guess is a big brother type mentality is that um, we're always looking for that. And that's something in, with the, what you do in our, our meeting, I, I recall our first meeting too, is that you're almost an Australian in, the, in your mindset about – your ability to say what's on your mind and, and exactly what is right rather than uh, sugarcoating things. And um, that's a great strength of yours. And uh, that's something that others don't have that ability. They, they, they want to see the other side of it where they can actually profiteer from things. And that annoys me. Well, I, I, think, I think if I remember about our meeting, um, we, we sat down in a, in a cafe uh, there in Eltham, and um, you introduce yourself, I introduce myself, and, and I think I kind of interrupt you, and I said, uh, I said, okay, I said, kind of before we move forward, if if you work or associate with these people or these companies or these people, and and here's why I don't agree with what they're doing, that's fine, and, and I'm not going to tell another grown man what to do, but you know, I'll save you the time and the effort, and and I'll I'll go somewhere else. Exactly, and and. Those same people are the same people that I deal with that we don't deal with. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, relationships with, and I remember that, that meeting very well too, that uh, uh, this is what I think. And you've said, it's fantastic. That's what I think too. So let's move forward, and it's been strength from there. So Yeah, and it, and it is, and, and we take we take a lot of pride in that. Um, you know, we're, we're not about the um, – you know, we're not about the glamour and glitz. We're all about doing the right thing and, and, and following the rules. And, you know, where, where my frustration, uh, kind of getting off on a tangent, I guess, but, but where my frustration comes into play with other people who are selling 
um, selling a dream sometimes is I, I have I have no problem with someone you know offering something to someone else. It's when you start making promises and guarantees that that just aren't uh, aren't true. I mean, you know, we're you know um, we we take a lot of pride in in not only being the best in the world with what we do, but also providing the best educational information on the process and what we do. And as good as we are and, you know, as many athletes that we've helped now over the years through Victoria and, and Australia and, and all over the world, there, there is no guarantee. And, and that is unfortunate when, you know, you guys do have the membership that you have. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't know how, I mean, I, I know how I deal with it and you know how I deal with it sometimes, but, um, and I can deal with it a little bit differently than you can. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I get called Batman in New Zealand. Sometimes I'll get a phone call and Batman, are you, when are you coming back? We, we've got some issues we need to take care of. Um, but you know, it, it, it's, it, it is unfortunate. It, it is unfortunate. And, um, you know, that, that's definitely kind of what has, has brought us together and, um, it has forged, you know, that relationship between you and I and, um, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully that continues, it, you know, it absolutely will continue on my end. And, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's really exciting to know sometimes when you do these things, um, or you put a partnership in place and, you know, the person puts it in place and then the people around aren't necessarily on the same page. Um, but it's been pretty consistent since my very first time ever, uh, I, when we came to Australia for the first time, we were there at the Classic, and, you know, all the same problems and, you know, people coming. It's, it's almost like we were a, a Catholic priest. Well, you know, once they found out we were American and what we did, they wanted to come and kind of confess all the sins of everybody that's doing things wrong and doing things. So it's, you know, a, as a byproduct, you know, it kind of goes back to the whole family atmosphere. I said I feel when I'm there, uh, you know, we come out there, we spend three weeks at a time and, um, you know, hopefully we've helped cut down on, you know, uh, uh, uh we've, we've called some of the, some of the sharks, um, you know, and, and, and cut down on some of that stuff. And, you know, it's, it's just doing right by the people, you know, we're not in it for the, the shimmer and shine. We're not in it to, um, you know, make the most money, we, you know, at the end of the day, when I have a saying, from a business standpoint and, and doing the right thing is always the right thing. Even if it doesn't work out, even, and you know, this to be true. I've, I've stuck to my guns and there's, you know, been some other people in other governing bodies and different things that, you know, wanted, you know, wanted to hear something different and they didn't hear that. And we don't have a partnership with them and, you know, that's okay. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not here to, you know, collect feathers, you know, for my cap. Uh, you know, it's doing things the right way. So, um, so, so let me ask you this, Grant, you know, you're, you're still young, 50, 50s young. You know, I, I tell, I tell today's youth, I, I see it in Australia. I see it in, um, you know, here in the States, the youth are very, very impatient. And, um, you know, they, they live in a world where you text somebody, you get an answer, you know, 20 years ago, if you wanted to talk to somebody, you had to call the house phone and, uh, leave a voicemail, you know, on the voice message and wait for them to get home to check it. And, you know, all of those things, um, you know, it, it was a much different world. Um, what, um, you know, you're, you're 50, 
Okay, um, you're, you're just getting started, right? You're you're, st- you're still young. Um, what are what are what are some professional goals, some personal goals that uh, you know you've had? Um, you know, now I mean, I'm sure you've had goals where you're at that, that have gotten you to where you're at. But but what are some of those personal or professional goals that you still have that you want to achieve? Yeah, um, good question. Um, I'm 50 next year, by the way. Okay. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the impatient thing is is a, is a big thing, and I remember having to wait for results for school in in the post, or wait to see if you made a an elite team. And the, and the post in the post is a mail for you guys. The letterbox, exactly right. And um, so, whereas now you you find out instantly. Um, so, um, and I probably communicate as much on mobile phone or uh, social media with my kids as I do verbally, which is always a worry too. Um, but it's just the way that they communicate nowadays. Um, the lessons learned. Um, one of the big things for me is that as I'm getting older and, and you consider wiser, is that you know, I'm no longer as bulletproof and uh, vulnerable as I thought I was, was one day <laughs> in those early days. Um, and... So now I'm a little bit more streetwise, um, and you find that the older you get, um, the more you start to worry about the stuff that you can control. Uh, the stuff that you can't control um, becomes irrelevant or wasted energy. Sure. And um, so for me, um, you know, for me, I'm worrying about the stuff that I can actually influence or affects me or that I can control and develop and correct. Uh, if it's stuff out of my realm, um, you know, as an example, an extreme example, we were sitting in Guam, uh, and I don't know if you know where Guam is, but it's basically between Australia and Japan in the yep. Pacific, um, and uh, they are under threat because they're in the uh, the the, uh, the pathway of North Korea and uh, what's going on there. So we're sitting there, it's like, well, you know, we're in an amazing place, part of the world, playing a basketball carnival. This is, this is fantastic. I can't control what North Korea may, may be thinking about doing to Guam. So let's not worry about that. Let's worry about what we can control. And uh, so just that mindset for me, that maturity, if you like, about thinking that way um, makes life a little bit more enjoyable because... Um, you have a little bit more control about what you do and what you uh, you influence. Um, so that would be a little bit of advice that I probably would want to pass on. Sure. Um, so 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 just recently, uh, that was was it last year? You brought your family over for a big trip. Yeah, two years ago, actually. Believe two, it or not, two years ago. Holy cow! Um, and you were over here. You had your family over here for how long? So. Uh, based on the story I told you earlier about mum and dad taking me over when I was 12, is that um, my wife and I had this great desire before our kids were too old. My eldest is now 20, um, so he was just turned 18, was to say, let's take our kids across to the States uh, for a month and, uh, and do as much as we possibly can during that time. And uh, so we booked our tickets, came over in November for a month, and um, then we waited on the NBA fixture to come out. And we tried to go and see as many NBA games as we possibly could. Um, had a good friend give uh, some tickets to an NFL game in, when we were in Nashville. Um, 
And uh, so we saw NFL, we saw hockey games. But the other thing we were able to do was over my coaching life here in Australia, I've coached a number of American players um, and we were able to catch up with a number of those. And in fact, we were in Nashville with a, uh, a guy that I coached my first year, a guy called John Pierce, who played at uh, Lipscomb University. And we stayed with his family. Uh, my wife is good friends now with um, with John's wife and they have four kids and we had Thanksgiving with them. So it was just a great life experience. But it was, a, 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 it was probably the best month as a family that we've had where we're staying in the same hotel rooms or um, eating together and there was no other distractions of, of you know, local domestic life. Um, it was just a special time for our family over there in the States and we saw amazing things from West Coast to East Coast. What, what, what was your family's uh, impression? Uh, you know, no doubt Nashville is – is, is known for their Southern hospitality. Um, John, um, you know, I, I, I challenge those sports fans that uh, um, actually I, I think at one time he was the all-time leading scorer um, in all of college basketball. I, I may be off on that, but um, – I believe he still is. He might, he might still be. He played for a, a guy, a coach, one of, the, one of the greatest coaches – of all time that a lot of youngsters now probably only know by maybe his story um, on the ESPYs and, um, you know, dealing with the challenge that he deal he dealt with uh, towards the end of his life. But, but coach Don Meyer, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to actually have grown up in, in Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is just 45 minutes North. Uh, my father was a basketball uh, coach. Don Meyer put on one of the biggest youth basketball camps every summer. Um, and it was not what, um, I don't even know that you could get away with some of the stuff that they did back then. Uh, you know, guys fooling around and, and having a water balloon fight in the middle of the night. And at two o'clock in the morning, they pulled the fire alarm and made everybody go outside. And we did uh, a, a basketball drill uh, that's normally done, you know, in the free throw lane called lane slides. And we actually did those from one side of this massive parking lot to the other and back and forth uh, at like 2 a.m., and uh, it was also one of those camps where you had the likes of, of Tubby Smith and, and Rick Majerus and, and all these big-time coaches would actually come and work his camp and take notes. And, and he had a really interesting thing um, that he did where he would publish um, the notes of any coach, high school, college, international, professional. Um, he was big on note-taking, and you didn't talk when he talked. Like it was, it, he, he, he taught more than just basketball. Um, and I would say you being friends with John, you've probably picked up on that a lot. Um, so that's just giving you some context there on John. What what did your family, uh, what was their impression of of the Thanksgiving holiday while you guys were, were over here? It was pretty uh, amazing because um, Thanksgiving is not big here in Australia. In fact, it's not even celebrated at all. Um, uh, but that feeling of family and worth and um, – um, you know, the Pierce family um, opened up their arms and uh, it was just amazing to be involved and included in that, that special day. Um, and that was a sort of center point of our, our tour. We, we went from there to New York and um, saw some things there and NBA games and stayed in New York. So we had all extremes. Um, my my benefit was that I'd been to the States before and I, I, I knew a number of things I wanted the guys or my kids to see, you know, including the Grand Canyon or sure. Gold Gate Bridge and those sorts of things. So we had a, a bit of a bucket list to tick off. 
and um, just recently my um, my number two boy turned 18, uh, Riley, and um, we were around the table at his birthday dinner and I said, mate, 18 years, you've packed a lot in, what's been the most favourite thing or memorable thing in your 18 years? And he said, American trip, um, you know, being with family and um, being together and seeing all those things, can we go back there? <laughs> awesome, that's awesome. So that was a pretty special moment for us. Fantastic. So, um, you know, you've you've spent a lot of time. Um, you know, your 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 family clearly. You know, when you know, I'm I'm fortunate enough to be uh, be friends with you on Facebook. And you know, if if people didn't know that you were involved with basketball, just on your Facebook, they would just know you as a family guy. And um, you know, your uh, um, you, you've I. I I think I know the answer to this um, because, again, we've got people with all walks of life from all around the world. Um, and, and I'm going to kind of set you up here so you don't put yourself uh, in the doghouse. But, um, you know, I think, you know, through this, you've you've had a lot of support clearly from your parents. But I, I get the feeling that, um, you know, you're, you're – you're, you're, I'm, I'm going to ask you, who, who's your greatest teammate either in life or uh, – um, you know, in sport throughout the process. Yeah, well, clearly my wife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> some brownie points there. Sure. Thank you for the setup. Um, I actually met my wife. Uh, she was a basketballer as well. And um, I don't think with my life um, uh, being what it is and my passion for the sport that if I had of um, married a non-basketball person who knew and understood the game and all the um, idiosyncrasies that go with it, um, that my marriage would have survived. Um, so, uh, and my boys all play. So, and um, to have that understanding, uh, it's been amazing. My wife Rachel is also a PE teacher, so you know, we have had a lot of similarities and and thought processes there, which has been been amazing. I was also, um, I mentioned mum and uh, dad, but I was fortunate enough, and many of the listeners may not know this gentleman's name, but again, some research, a guy called Lindsay Gaze um, is like the doyen here of a basketball in Australia, um, went to five Olympic Games, um, was just recently um, voted into the Naismith Hall of Fame, um, just a legend of the sport here. I was able to work for Lindsay uh, for 15 years. And uh, he became that fatherly influence for me from a career perspective and the love and passion for the game. And uh, he, um, somebody, you know, he's now in his early 80s, um, but somebody that I refer back to as that mentor-type person professionally that um, has been able to guide me. His son, Andrew, played in the NBA and uh, is now coaching an NBL team here. In fact, he sat on the bench with Indiana Pacers at the Summer League just recently. I saw that. Um, I saw that. But the influence of Lindsay on me as far as the game and the passion for the game um, is something that's sort of been very influential professionally for me. Um, so it's, those sort of people have been uh, influential. Well, and, and, and that's kind of why I mentioned the, the teammate, um, you know, and, and, and kind of segued 
uh, your better half in there uh, because, you know, hearing about this trip and I remember talking to you about it and, you know, we're, we're trying to coordinate a few things and, uh, you know, so we're waiting, you know, we're waiting on the NBA to release their schedule, release their schedule. Uh, and I remember asking us that your wife has to enjoy basketball because if she doesn't and you're coming here to the United States and you're basing basically your movements based on games and getting to see as many sporting events as you can. And it's funny, I remember, I'm, I'm not friends with your wife on Facebook, but I remember seeing pictures and stuff you were tagging it looked like she was having more fun uh even you know even than, than sometimes you guys were yeah i guess as the only female in the house uh she still has a majority vote on everything but, um <laughs> she uh the love and passion for the sport for her i mean she's still coaching our youngest uh jed uh heavily involved with that with football and uh, and basketball so yeah if she wasn't a sporty person uh she wouldn't survive um and, you know, we'll often go to an AFL game here and watch. I'm a mad Collingwood supporter um, in the local football league. And um, we what's go the, and watch what's them. Their, what's their mascot, Grant? The Magpies. Magpies. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I don't have a footy team uh, that I support. Uh, but, I will, but I will tell you that um, I could never, ever support the Magpies uh, simply by the sheer fact that I have actually been attacked twice uh, by a magpie, um, and, and I challenge those viewers, when, when, when you quit listening to this, go to YouTube and type in magpie attack, and you will know, like, I have lived that life, and the only, there's not a human being that I've ever come across that's ever intimidated me or, or made me fearful. However, I have a massive fear of birds, and, you know, for those in the States, a magpie is a majority, a majority black with some white spots, um, what almost like kind of like the size of a crow here in the yeah. United States, except they are massively aggressive for whatever reason. Um, yeah, very territorial, and they will absolutely dive bomb you and peck you in the head. And I'm fearful that they're going to peck my eyes out. So when you know, I, I try to avoid them at all costs. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, and, and it's funny down here, um, you know. We have effectively context us an NFL competition that we run as the AFL competition domestic. We have 10 teams out of Melbourne. So um, sadly, we'll still go and do basketball clinics and take import American import players to do a basketball clinic at a school. And the first question they get asked is always, what football team do you support? Yeah. Um, not not what, who do you play for, basketball, or where did you play college or anything? It's always... It consumes us here um, with the way of life here in Melbourne. So, so um, one thing I also learned, kind of hitting on the footy stuff real quick, is how much college, college university uh, basketball players are becoming more and more attractive uh, to footy teams. Just you know, the style of the game, ironically, is you know is conducive in AFL for a long, tall, physical, uh, athletic. Uh, basketball player yeah um and it is sad um we'll have um you know we've just recently had our under 16 australian national championships held over in perth and um the recruiters that are at those games you'll see the odd you know, we had college coaches come down from the states to have a look at them and you know starting their recruiting process but in the stands the number of football coaches or football recruiters outweighs the basketball recruiters um, because of the skill set that our basketballers have um, for the sport. And 
the fastest growing sport in Australia at the moment, um, because it's starting from zero, um, is Australian women's football. Yep. And um, you know, we're getting, uh, you know, we're in a recruiting battle here as a sport to try and keep our female players because uh, the the lure of going to play AFL is so rich. Um, so it's a bit of a battle for us here. And exactly what you said, the skill sets, um, it's 360 degrees perception, um, fast, active reaction time. Um, it really does fit in well with AFL. Awesome. Awesome. So, so we'll kind of, we'll kind of, you know, ease our way into to wrapping this up, uh, Grant. Um, one, one more question I wanted to have for you, uh, because I think we are going to have, you know, a, a large group of, of younger adults, uh, both male and female that, um, that will listen to this. Uh, if, if you had one thing to go back and tell yourself at 19 years old, um, whether it be, you know, you, you can, you can, you can frame it how you want to for, you know, for the Australian base or, or for, for young adults all around the world, what would be that one thing you would go back and, and explain or tell yourself at 19? Good question. I'm not sure I could tell one thing. Um, or, or a couple, a couple, that's fine. I reflect a little bit now is that, um, you know, as, as rich as, um, my wife and I, wife and I are here with family and, um, um, you know, what we've been blessed with, with the kids and the love we have in this family. Um, you always refer back to the financial situation and you want to provide more and more. And as a 19 year old, I remember wasting money on cars and, um, irrelevant stuff. Um, and I wish it back then I have friends that made some hard calls back then uh, about getting invested in uh, property or land. And, and you look at where they are financially right now uh, and the properties that they own or where they're at financially in such a great situation. And maybe that's something I would look at. Um, staying in school was a big one for me. I wish I'd have gone to that teacher's college uh, and, uh, and got some education back then. Um because I think, you know, whilst I'm in a nice place professionally right now, um, perhaps if I had that teacher's degree and I could have gone off and coached in college in the States or uh, other opportunities may have been there. So maybe that that is something that I would have advised. Um, and above all, the importance of family um, for me is something that I would enhance um as a 19-year-old, you know, with grandparents and even now with my parents aging, uh, wanting to see them more and more because uh, you know that um, uh, life is what it is and they may not be around much longer, um, wanting to make sure that uh, you just live every day that you can with the people that you love. And uh, I think that's really important, um, providing those opportunities where you can be together. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. Uh, so, so what we're going to do... Uh, here on the conversation is is we're going to wrap this up. Some of these, you know, some of the guests that we're going to have um, really don't know me at all and have just, you know, heard about the podcast and, and, and requested to be a guest. And, and some of them will know me maybe, you know, for years and, and some of them will be like yourself that uh, has, has gotten to know me um, over the last three or four years. I'm going to allow everyone um, to kind of ask me a question. I'm kind of putting myself on the spot and uh, I really could be um, – 
could be setting myself up here because uh, I can't edit this part out, obviously. I guess I could claim technical difficulties, I guess. Um, but uh, so I'm going to I'm going to kind of turn the, the hosting over to you for for one final question and then uh, we'll wrap it up. Yeah, I could always ask the, uh, the the obvious questions from my end, but uh, and given that um, you had to evacuate your house for one particular reason and you knew that your wife and kids were out safely, do you have one item that you would um, grab, um, if you could, to uh, to save you that means a lot to you? Um, oh, man, Grant, you... Uh, um You've kind of hit me. Uh, you've kind of hit me in a personal spot. Okay, so um, and, and 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 that's okay. Um, and and that's why I do this. So um, I don't get emotional about much. Um, you know, I'm a very, um, you know, I'm, I'm a very, I'm a very hardened person uh, because of the life that um, was presented to me, and I've, and I've made a lot of mistakes. So um, you know, you've got me a little emotional here. Um, for me, I mean, I, I can tell you, um, it, it, it absolutely would be, um, and, and this, and it's gonna, I'm gonna say this, and, and some people are probably gonna try and try and call me on it, but um, it would be my phone, um, and the reason that it would be my phone is because, you know, our phone now has taken place of, you know, the the '90s and the '80s of the home videos and. Uh, um, and the pictures and those kind of things. And, um, you know, I've, I've got five kids. Um, I've got a beautiful wife at home who's, you know, the best thing in the world that's ever happened to me and, and been my, my rock and my support through this crazy journey of, of starting this business with the last $1,500 I had to my name and um, saying, hey, I've, I've got a dream and, hey, I'm, I'm going to spend my last dollars going to this place called Australia that I know nothing about and, you know, I'm going to see if I can help these people. And, um you know, that, that I would do that because my family, you know, means so much to me. And, um, you know, I, I've got a, I've got a young, uh, a couple, I've got actually, ironically, I've got a daughter who just turned 16 who just got her driving permit today, um, which, uh, it's caused me to, uh, I'm going to have to start looking for, I'm, uh, before the night's over with, I may have to have a cold beer or two to kind of calm the nerves. Um, but um, I've also got some, you know, I've, I've got a 16, a 15, a soon to be 11. Um, I've got a six year old and an eight month old. And um, they actually were all just here in town. We had them all together. And, um, you know, that, that, that would be what I would grab um, because it's got all my memories on it. It's got, you know, the, the, the funny. You know, as, as you know, your kids, you know, they, they develop their language when they, they say funny things or they say something, you know, a unique way. And, um, you know, and, and, and it was really easy for me to give you that answer. Um, ironically, I'm, I'm a guy who, who I've got a couple tattoos that, that maybe aren't visually public. Um, and there's this cool technology that I've seen. And um, you basically can get an audio clip um, uh, tattooed on you of anything and then you scan it with your phone it actually will play the audio back so if you had a you know a deceased family member or for me you know my thought goes to you know I want to have that done for my daughter when um, you know she you know instead of saying dad can I can I sit with you she says you know she used to say dad can I sit at you can I go I want to sit at you you know she, she just had these ways of saying these certain things and um, you know we 
it, it, it's again, I mean, you know, I think family has kind of been the, the overwhelming theme of, of all of this. And, you know, you, you couldn't do what you do, you know, without your family. Um, I, I know I couldn't, I mean, I'm gone sometimes. I mean, I mean, you, you see my schedule and the nights that I work and, you know, the hours that I put in when I'm on the road and, um, you know, I couldn't do it without my family. Uh, so, so no doubt, you know, my phone would be it. Uh, sure. I mean, there's, there's other caveats that come with that and I get other things by grabbing my phone, but, um, I would do that because that once I lose that, I don't, I don't, I don't have those pictures. I don't have those videos, uh, there. Yeah, great answer. I appreciate that. So, uh, Grant, you know, it's been, it's been great. Um, ironically, I, uh, chiseled out about 35, 40 minutes and, uh, looks like we're right at an hour and 20, uh, here into this thing. Um, you know, I, I hope, um, I hope the people that we have here on, and I call it the conversation because I want it to be that, you know, it's uh, you know, it's not a sports uh, podcast, not a business podcast. It, it, it's just a conversation. And um, there's a couple things that I want and, and, and you're actually our first guest that we've interviewed and I've, and I've done that on purpose um, because I want to kind of set the tone for what, what you and I have been able to, to establish and grow on and, and, and mine and your relationship is really unique. Um, you know, we, we don't spend over the years we in one single setting, we've not spent a ton of time, but I, I have that connection with you where I come to town and, you know, we go to, uh, we go to, uh, my favorite spot there in Melbourne, uh, Piccolo there on Ligon street and, um, you know, see our guy and, and get some great pasta, and, and, you know, it's like we've, we've known each other for years and we can communicate and, you know, we, 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 we have some of the things that we disagree with. So we, you know, can relate to those things. And, um, I, I want to, I want people around the world to get a glimpse into people who are successful. Success doesn't just come with celebrity success. Doesn't just come with, you know, the most money. Um, most of the time, the most successful people in the world buy, you know, uh, um, you know, the real world standard, uh, comes from a very unspoken place. And, you know, I want people to get to kind of peer behind the curtain of people who, you know, like yourself, who, who have been successful and, uh, you know, who do it from a very humble standpoint. And, you know, I want people of, of all, you know, races, religions, nationalities, um, you know, you know, any differences, uh, that are out there, to, to be able to see that, you know, people from two completely different walks of life, from two completely different countries uh, who are, um, you know, from the world standpoint, two very different people on paper um, can sit down and, and have a conversation and uh, and have a good time and, and, and get to know each other. And, and, and you and you see the, the commonalities that are there between two people. Yeah, well spoken. And I too value our friendship, and uh, I thank you very much for uh, the last hour or so together. And I uh, hope it's uh, exactly what you wanted out of it. Yeah, it, it was great. So uh, you know, we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. I've uh, I've got a ton of work to do. We're we're actually heading in your neck of the woods. I'm I'm, I'm actually heading to New Zealand uh, here in about uh, about ten days. I'll be there for three weeks trekking. Uh, trekking the, the the South and North Island in an RV with uh, two of my team members. So, um, you know, I'm sure there will be some uh, 
Uh, follow Facebook. I'm sure, no doubt, there'll be some uh, really, really good stuff. If you're having a bad day, just just log on, and you'll see some crazy stuff happening with us uh, in uh, in the middle of nowhere in an RV. So, uh, Grant, I appreciate your time. I, I appreciate. Uh, I know Friday is kind of your family day, and um, you know it's. I, I appreciate you allowing me to to cut into that. And um, yeah, I look forward to uh, look forward to uh, to grabbing some. Uh, Grabbing some big time, uh, big time Italian food uh, next time we're your way. Thank you, mate. Appreciate your time. Well right. done. Cheers. Uh, feel free to uh, give us five stars. Give us one star. Share it if you loved it. Uh, let us know if you hate it, and uh, we'll uh, we'll keep bringing you more of the conversation.